Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are at the end of the life of Yaakov. Uh, so he has been hanging out in Goshen for around 17 years. After he comes down, having been summoned by Yosef, he realizes that he is close to death, and he draws his sons to him and asks them to gather, and actually the Torah says he causes them to gather, ha'asfu. Uh, and I always, I can't help but think that Torah is using this word ha'asfu, and we're going to see it a few times in our part of the Parsha, because... Um, it sounds a lot like Yosef. Oh, yeah. So I, all the times that Jacob is asafing his sons, I can't help but hear Yosef. Right. So I think there, I think it's on purpose that Torah is using this particular verb, uh, and so he brings them all together. And uh, so lots of midrashim have been written, lots of commentary has been written about the very beginning of our parsha, where he says, "Come together that I may tell you what is to befall you at the end of days." And then, rather than doing that, he proceeds to bless each of his sons. And uh, if you look at our chapter where we are now, 49.27, it's an interesting blessing that he closes with for Benjamin, right? Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he consumes the foe, and in the evening, he divides the spoil, right? So when we say blessing, it's like... He makes a statement about each of his sons uh, at this time, uh, presumably, and we studied a little bit about that last year, uh, but now we're in the third third of every Torah portion, so we're going to be looking uh, to the end of this parsha and to the actual um, description of the death of Yaakov. So he's got all of his sons with him. He has said something to each one of them. He's just finished saying something to Benjamin, uh, and we are coming to verse 29. And he gave them a charge, saying, When I am gathered to my people, bury me with my ancestors in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, facing Mamre in the land of Canaan, the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as an inalienable gravesite. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and the cave in it was from the Hittites. When Jacob was done charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed. He then breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Okay. So we're by Atzabotam, and he commands them and says to them, again, here we see this verb, I'm about to be asaft to my people gathered to my people kivruoti el avotai el hamara asher besade efron hakiti so and make sure i am buried bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of efron the hittite right the and then we get more about that the cave of machpelah right that he that abraham purchased meaning he has legitimate claim to it 
right? We get told Avraham bought it, Avraham bought it, Avraham bought it. We get told this a lot, and it's not just Department of Redundancy Department. Um, it is that it is a statement that Avraham is entitled to this land. Yaakov is entitled to this land and entitled to be buried in this land, so that there should be no confusion. It was purchased from mm-hmm. Ephron the Hittite. Okay. This is in Hebron. This is yeah, this is, this is right, in Canaan, back in Canaan, back in Israel. Uh, so he's asking that, you know, that essentially his remains be buried there. Cause, and we know that this is the the place, because he tells us here, right, that this is the place where Abraham uh, buried Sarah, his wife, right, and Yitzchak buried Rivka, his wife, and there uh, I buried Leah. Did he die in Egypt? Who? Uh, Yaakov? We're in Egypt now. Right, so he died in Egypt and they had to bring his body back. Yes. So, uh, and there I buried Leah. So why isn't Rachel buried there? She died by the side. She, she died, died by in, the side of the road. The road in On the way, have giving birth to Benjamin. Does Machpelah mean anything? I don't know. That is a good question. I will be happy to look it up. I don't have a note on it, um, but maybe there's a note, you know, on the original place where it appears. But I don't have a note here. Amy, is there any evidence that Goshen exists? I mean, where is it in relation to Cairo? I'm sort of trying Northern to... Egypt. Is it far away from Cairo? Away from, you know, I don't know. It's like 300 miles from the Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah, it's the delta. Right. And so if it's the delta, it's probably... Because for Joseph to do what he did to protect them, he had to be away from the mainstream of Egyptian... Well, there, there's right now there's there's no problem between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Everything's hunky dory. Well, I mean, when the famine was in Egypt and Joseph took care of his family, that had to create a norm. We talked last week, huge resentment among the Egyptian population. Right. So eventually, if it was right in Cairo. You could imagine that it wouldn't be sustainable. Right. And I don't know where all of the, the, the seats of power were. We'll Back then, I, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about biblical Egypt to know, you know, where the real power centers were. But, um, but they settled where lots of migrant folks would have settled coming down from by the sea from a famine in Canaan. Yeah. All right. So, um, all right. So when Jacob finished his instructions to his sons. Right? Asaf Raglav. Do you hear how many times we're getting this this word? Asaf Raglav. He gathered his feet, his legs, uh, into the bed, and Asaf El Amav. And he was gathered to his people. I just this word. I just think we can't ignore that. Yosef, 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 Yosef. It's like a, another interpretation of Shalom too. To gather and to gather as one and behold. Okay. Um, The the English translation here in this book doesn't use the word gather in both places. Interesting. Whereas in Hebrew, it's the same word. It's the same word. He was gathered. He drew his feet into the bed. Interesting. Uh, Oh, mine mine does too. He drew his feet into the bed. But the Hebrew word is the same as The Hebrew is he gathered his feet into the bed and he was was gathered gathered to his people by Yeh Esof. I 
Right. So, and now we're going to see the beginning words of chapter 50 in Hebrew, Vayipol Yosef. I mean, it just is, it's very alliterative in the Hebrew that you completely miss in the English. Yeah. Uh, hmm? is, the soft, is that the same as the name of the soft that we do? Uh, probably. Um, so, la'asof is to add or to, uh, to, or to gather. So Yosef is an additional son, right? Another son okay. is given to Yaakov. Yeah. He's been gathered back into the family. Now, yep. when it says gathered to his people, is that his family, his ancestors, the Jewish people? So it's a euphemism. Uh Usually we don't see gathered to his people. Usually we see gathered to his ancestors. Um, and so it's it's an interesting note. Uh, this is the and this is the only time that Torah uses this expression where the person says it about themselves. Every other place in Torah it says and Benjamin was gathered unto his ancestors or unto his people. This is the only time somebody says it about themselves in Torah. Why do you think that's necessary here? For Jacob to say it about himself? Anyone who holds for it at this moment, but yet him uh, to say it about himself. It's essentially a, a nice way to say he died. <laughs> right? Like, the Torah could just say, well, you know, and he expired. <laughs> but, but it's a... It's also his knowing. It's a mythic way of... Of, um, of saying that he died and those usually come from some kind of meaning right around h- how one how one deals with concepts like death right these euphemisms are about right this this desire to believe we are gathered into something else when we die right because of course existential oblivion is right terrifying for us to try to get our heads around so often when you see euphemisms it's because there's some kind of difficulty right and we find some way to talk about it that makes us who feel better the us, the, I'm sorry who does the euphemism protect I think everybody like whenever we talk about death like it makes everybody nervous this makes death a bit less lonely yeah I mean I think it answers the yeah the existential terror of not existing Right, because the the alternative is that they are existing somewhere else, or in some other way, or with some other people. Right. Um, this is not, by the way, the afterlife. That is not what this is. Let us be very clear. That is not what this is. Um, what it is exactly, we don't know, because we don't have any explication of biblical understandings of life and death in terms of what happens after death. It is not a question Torah asks. It is not a discussion anywhere in any part of the Bible. We get enough confusing references that we don't know what any of this is exactly about, right? So um, let me not descend into Sheol because then I cannot praise you from the Psalms, right? Protect me. Don't let me descend into Sheol because then I can't praise you, oh God, Um what is Sheol? What does that mean? What is going down to Sheol? Mean? Like you know, and so we we don't know because it's just not explicated at all. Um, the rabbi spent some. Time the rabbi spent the some time about it, not a lot yeah. of time about it. The times we see the rabbis talking a lot about Olam Haba, the world to come, is when life is terrible here. 
that's when we see rabbinic writing about the afterlife is when their children's blood is running in the streets because there's a pogrom because there's a, right so when things are horrible horrible here then we get you, it makes total sense then you have these eschatological texts dealing with end times and messianic times and afterlife um, but but really there's never been and if someone tells you there is they're lying there, there's never been a systematic mm-hmm. conversation about the afterlife heaven in, in our texts no heaven. well there's no hell for sure yeah. there's mm-hmm. we have descended to somewhere <laughs> like uh, there's the Gehinom is another mm-hmm. one um, so we could say when shale f- freezes over when shale freezes <laughs> when Gehinom freezes over but we, we don't know exactly what all of that means we just get resonances of remnants how do you interpret that the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, doesn't deal with it? Because um, all other religious beliefs deal with it. They, they almost only deal with that. So, so particularly Egypt, right? Egypt had an obsession yes. with yeah, with preserving the body in yeah. this life, right? Mummification yeah, right. is all about preserving the body in this life, so that like you you get to you get to be in the afterlife, right? So I, I think in part it is we're not them, right? So there is kind of this, you know, we don't do that. We don't have a tree in our living room in in the winter, right? We don't do that. That's part of how we define ourselves. Um, but I think also it's just they they, they just they diverge, right? That, you know, early cultures, you know, they split and, and Israelite culture was very much about affirming life and how to live life uh, and very much about how to live in this world and in this life and didn't really care that much about what happens the next. The thing is the two other religions that diverge from Judaism, they go back to it again. Like Islam and so one thing I want to say about that is let us remember, because often that's, I think that gets to be the, the myth, um, is that you have, um, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> really? Oh my gosh, seriously? Um, so we tend to think of uh, Israelite religion, and then it branches off into um, Christianity and Islam. But this is not the case. Correct. So they are obliterated. Israelite religion is obliterated with the destruction of the temple. So off of Israelite religion come three branches. Ah, does a light bulb go off now? So this is the actual case. Out of Israelite religion comes rabbinic Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So it's not exactly, yes, I'm going to go where you're going, but a little bit different. Christianity didn't go back to it. Israelite religion attracted who were people who were Israelite, right? There were lots of different kinds of Israelites. Once this collapses, once this system collapses, you have folks who want to stay with that whole idea of right the death of the sacrifice. They're not worshiping death, 
right? They're, they're still drawn to this idea of the sacrifice atoning for them. They can't let it, they don't want to let that go. Judaism moves on, on, right? So this, this is created by folks who are already where? In Babylonia. These people are in Babylonia when this is destroyed. They've been in Babylonia while this was going on and then as it's destroyed. So they've been far away from this. So they've already got other stuff going on. So lots of folks are drawn to, well, first of all, people were expelled. The Jews were exiled. So now they couldn't, a lot of them hang out right there. But the folks who are, some of them who are left in the region, right? There are all these stories that have been in the region about the death of the king. The, God, the king is the God. The God dies on behalf of the people. So the crops are renewed, blah, blah, blah. Those stories are all over the place. Those stories about the risen Christ get put with this teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus becomes the Christ. So those stories have been here forever. But now that this is gone, now that Israelite religion is gone, you have a new Formation of those stories, Jesus of Nazareth as the risen Christ. That attracts a certain amount of people who had been Israelite. Um, and Islam, right, is a whole nother, I mean, it's much later, right, much later. And, and doesn't really base itself here. That's why Islam takes more from Judaism. Right, because it's so much later. It's looking at the Jewish people, how they are wedded to a text, how a text really defines the people. That's what Islam right, is looking at, looking at, um, wow, so they have, they're all over the place, but they have this one text, and this one text brings them together. And Rabbi Converse that worked to, you know, develop Islam. Yes. It was a Yemenite rabbi who converted to Islam, and he worked along with the, you know, because they wanted to make whatever was working for the Jews work for them, yeah. right? It's a new religion. How do you get all these different kinds of people literally on the same page? Well, you have to have a page. <laughs> that means you have to have a book. Yeah. That means we have the Quran modeled on the Jews' relationship to Torah. So how much later was the Quran written? 700 but it took 25 years until it was you know it, it all came down kind of say really it didn't come in once so it was in the six seven hundred yes yeah okay rabbis yes oh, I just want to by coincidence last night I was speaking to a Catholic woman whose mother died uh, for this week, and she asked me, do Jews believe in an afterlife? Is there heaven and hell? And I'm trying to figure out, is there an elevator speech? Normative Judaism believes there is something after this life. What that is, we can't know. There is no such thing as hell, because we do not believe a loving creator would create a place of eternal damnation and suffering. And we do not believe the universe is constructed in such a way that there is any possibility of distance from God once we die. There, 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 there is no such thing like as... It was way too fast. Way too fast. Um, that we, 
believe there's something after life. We we don't know what that is. We can't really know what that is because we haven't died and come back to talk no, about it. Um, and but we know. We trust that a loving creator would not create a place of eternal suffering and damnation and that the universe is constructed in such a way that there is no possibility of separation from God after death. That's not a possibility. You can't. You, how can you be separate from the divine? We are the divine. So once we die, whatever of us is of the divine remains so. There isn't something that can be sent somewhere that that is apart from the divine. The divine is everything. Does that make sense? Like it just makes no sense that there's a compartment where you are yeah, not with God. But afterlife in Islam or in Christianity is a big part of the divine. Yeah. I think that's where we differentiate from them. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think I don't know. It's an interesting discussion, but. I, I think the whatever is, let's say it's energy, right? We're energy, then our matter deteriorates. We're still energy. The part of us is energy returns to energy. That's huge. That's the vastness of most experience. This is a blink. The vast, I agree that Judaism believes that, you know, I mean, if you ask, if you push me on it, the vastness of experience is energy, being energy. That is the biggest part of the divine. We just don't focus on that while we're doing the blip. We focus on the blip, right? Rather than on the vastness of what happened before and what will happen after, we, we focus on, on the now and the here. For those that are interested, there's a very good book called The Death of Death, um, which is written by a, uh, uh, a very scholarly uh, rabbi in New York, I believe, uh, that discusses uh, the whole Jewish uh, beliefs about that from the earliest up through uh, up through the current. Uh, it's uh, it's a little tough to get through, but uh, <laughs> skim it. it. You can just skim it. The death of death. So if you want to look at more at that more, Jody. I just want to say that um, that show the middle ground that you were on was so good in this topic was so interesting because if I remember correctly, the pastor I think it was was just the solo guy. There. The only one who believed yes. in the afterlife. So check your email. There was an email that went out that I'm on an episode of a show called Middle Ground on YouTube. It's not long. It's like 12 minutes. Um, but it's, it, this one was supposed to be scientists versus religious people. And then, you know, kind of exploring that stuff. So, um, so that's what Jody's referencing. David? One of the... I remember sitting a little while back in a session just like this, and somebody asked the rabbi, do you believe in the afterlife? And he said, I do, because if I didn't, I would think that Hitler and his victims got to the same end, and I can't do that. It was a quiet, you could hear a pin drop. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have to think about what I, <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> so, um, all right, so let's go to 50. Joseph threw himself upon his father. He wept over him and kissed him. Joseph then charged the servants, his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. When his 40 days were completed, for it took the embalmers that many days, Egypt bewailed him 70 days. The days of bewailing him passed, and Joseph spoke to Pharaoh's household, saying, 
If I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh and say, My father adjured me, saying, See, I am about to die in my grave that I acquired for myself in the land of Canaan. There you must bury me. Now then give me leave to go up and bury my father, then I will come back. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father and he, as he adjured you. Okay. So Joseph, so Vayipol Yosef el Pnei Aviv, and so Yosef falls on the face of his father, Vayevk, and once again, Joseph weeps and kisses him. Vayitzav Yosef et Abadav, and he, he commands his servants, Joseph does, uh, his servants and his doctors to do what one does to preserve the corpse. Uh, and so anybody wants to tell you that we have never embalmed and we've always buried in 24 hours, all you have to do is get out your Bible, <laughs> turn to chapter 50, and say, nuh-uh. <laughs> right, so... Same embalming, I mean, that we think of embalming. Well, this, yeah. is, this is mummification. Yeah. This is the mummification process. Um, so we're not sure what the 70 days is. Um, it could be that there's a 40-day period, then a 30-day period. Um, there are, are documents that tell us um, that the body was placed in niter for 70 days. Niter for 70 days. That's so that it could be that. Um, there are other places uh, that we find that um, the the dressing of the corpse with oils and spices um, happened, and 72 days of mourning followed for the death of a king. So it's possible that Joseph is giving his father full royal funerary honors. Egyptian funerary honors. Joseph was like the vice president. Egypt the whale I thought they were upset because of the Okay, we have to I, I don't know how we got here that everybody's upset. Nobody's upset yet. <laughs> Nobody's upset. Everybody's good. Joseph is a superstar. His father is a father of a superstar. His family are dignitaries. They everyone loves them. Joseph is the savior of Egypt. That's where we're at. Okay. Okay? <laughs> Nobody's upset with them yet. That's going to happen later. It's going to deteriorate. They knew not Joseph. They knew not Joseph. A pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. So either forgot the agreements made with Joseph's family that now becomes huge and big and problematic. But I didn't get it in writing. Perhaps the Egyptian situation declines and the Israelites have all this wealth. We don't, we don't know what happens, but we know the situation deteriorates. Yeah, but this, I, I thought uh, the favoritism came before this. What favoritism? That Joseph was helping his family. Well, so we, we, are, we have no indication that, um, that, that there's any reaction to that. We, we, we don't we, what we said is he sets that up right he sets it up what's, we were looking ahead and saying it starts here it starts with Joseph having made all of Egypt his slaves essentially Pharaoh's slaves you know selling off their serfs Right, and he and it seems that his family doesn't do that but they don't own their land they're settling there Right, but they still have their cattle and their stuff, which the Egyptians have had to sell to Pharaoh for food. That is a setup. 
for a bad situation. Later chapter. Uh, for a later chapter. All right. Now, to be fair, to be to be super honest, because I try really hard to be honest, there are scholars who want to say already there's indication of problems, because when Pharaoh says go bury your father, um, he he makes him come back. Like he says, be sure you come back. Um, and they leave. And so look at seven. So Joseph went to bury his father and with him went all the officials of Pharaoh, the senior members of his court and all of Egypt's dignitaries together with all of Joseph's households, his brother, his father's household, only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the region mm-hmm. of Goshen. So some scholars want to say the children Hostage. and the flocks are hostages to be sure that Joseph comes back. I don't buy it. I do not buy it at all. There is no indication here. Why would you take flocks and children on a funeral expedition if your plan is to come back? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no indication that they are hostages. So I just want to be fair. There are scholars who say already the situation's deteriorating. Here's proof. I don't buy it. I think this is paying full honors to Jacob. So all of these Egyptian dignitaries are going, everybody's schlepping. You know, it's a procession, it's a huge deal. It's a way to honor Joseph, you know, through honoring his father. And you would not take toddlers on that trip or flocks. If you're not planning to live in Canaan, why would you take your sheep? It makes no sense. So I so I don't buy it. And remember, they're not going cross town. Right, it's they're, a, going, they're going it's to Canaan, shot. which later takes the Israelites forty years. And if I understand it properly, well, that, that was a different situation altogether. No, no, no. But I mean the distance. I'm talking about the. Di- in other words, it's like a ten days walk. I right. understand. But nevertheless, right? It's not the four hundred five, and it's not a fifth. It's it's ten days across. I think the John desert. was saying it is like crossing oh, the four hundred five. Okay. If you have to sit on sunset, it's ten days. No, but I mean it. It, it was a it was a long trip through yes, the desert. Yes, yes, the yes, yes. That's desert. why they wouldn't take them. Right. Absolutely. I'm just sort of confused because earlier we saw that the Egyptians believed the Israelites were less than. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't eat dinner with the Israelites. All of a sudden, I don't get how they're honoring. So there's 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 levels. So there's there well there's levels. So I can I can find somebody to be an incredibly respected human being who's a really important person, and I would pay them all honors. But I wouldn't want my daughter to marry their son. Well, this is a big deal, though. This is no, it isn't. Well, this is the pharaohs. This is dignitary. These are dignitaries doing on. It's a political honor. This is not. They are not eating together. There's a difference. Eating is a very intimate act in the ancient world. It is a very intimate thing, and it was tied to purity and impurity. And even the Egyptians had a very complicated understanding of ritual purity and impurity. And whenever we see to'eva, abomination, that word is a ritual word about some kind of relationship to purity and impurity. This is a political act. 100%. 100%. And maybe Pharaoh feels real affection for Joseph. I don't I don't know. But they are this is full military honors right for the father of someone who saved their country. That is very different from now let's go eat dinner, eat dinner together. That would not have 
happen, but that's because it's a ritual issue versus a political situation. Dana? Not necessarily. The ha- well, the household is your cert. You need people, your body slave, your. I don't. I personally don't think it's a big deal. I think it's telling us who went, right? The little ones and the flocks and whatever stayed behind. I, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, I could be wrong, obviously. But um, I think it's just telling us who went, who stayed. Like, like I said, other, other people want to read something huge into this. But I think it's just about who goes on these things and who stays. Um, you would have taken the people that you need to go with. Somebody's got to cook, right? you got to take your, your household or the people who prepare your food, who clean up, who brush your hair, who take care of your armor, right? You, there's, there's, you've got a retinue of a lot of people when you're camping on the road, especially royalty, right? So a huge percentage of the court like goes, and then all the people that support that go. Um, it's interesting that the brothers went along, but it just talks about Joseph. Joseph went to bury his father and later Joseph mourned. Because Joseph's the agent. You know what I mean? He, They don't have any power to do anything here. They are just kind of part of the he's retinue. The big, he's the big shot. He's Well, he's the one. Jacob tells Joseph, bury right. me, because the brothers have zero authority, right? Zero power in Egypt to make anything happen. Jo- it's Joseph who can arrange this whole, this whole thing. To get everybody to uh, Canaan, he's got permission. He's got authority. He's got all those Plus things. Plus, he was the number one son. Hmm? Plus, he was the number one son. <laughs> well, but I don't think that. Again, I don't think that's such a big deal. Jo- Joseph is the one who's involved in this. The brothers are schleppers. <laughs> they're just going wherever he tells them to go. Like they're completely. And we see that they are aware that they are completely dependent on Joseph. Is there any independent? Confirmation that there was a Joseph and then no, there is no yes, Rabbi no. Even a Goshen, yeah. We know Goshen existed, yeah. yes, but we don't we don't know that there's there is no indication of a Yosef. Um, the what we do have is some stuff about Semites mm. in Egypt, and there's some battle with Semites and the Pharaoh, probably Pharaoh's son. Right, having some kind of skirmish with Semites that they rout the Egyptians. So that, that but that's possibly the the uh, kernel surrounding the Exodus narrative, not this narrative. And does Joseph think of himself? Do you think, or the commentators, does he see himself as a Hebrew or as an Egyptian? <laughs> Write that midrash, and you tell me. <laughs> you mentioned that. Uh, you might have a political meeting with people, but you wouldn't want your daughter to marry their son. There are many who think that the laws of Kashrut, which came later, I understand, rabbinic laws later, uh, were devised because they prevented yes. socialization. That's what all of them are. Yeah. That's what all of them are. The, the Egyptian ones right. and the Hebrew right. ones and these ones. They were all about preventing contact right. between 
different cultures some so people, that they didn't... Some people still think it's about trichinosis. It's, it's not. It was a separation... No. Don't even get me started. Because no, that'll be a whole nother hour. So don't get me started. But uh, to your point, Peter Pitzel writes very movingly about Joseph as the stranger. Joseph as the orphan. That he doesn't belong anywhere. He's not... He's Hebrew, but he hasn't been a Hebrew. You know, he hasn't lived that for how long? Because he's not really Egyptian. He's not really royalty. He's not. Re- he's not really anything. There's nothing that shows that Joseph is conscious of his history in the sense of being part of another people. I mean, he seems to have embraced his role fully. You know. Yes. What does that mean for Joseph? Yeah. Right. Who knows? All right. So let's go on. When they reached <coughs> Goran Ha'atad on the other side of the Jordan, they held there a great and solemn, solemn lamentation. He observed a mourning ceremony for seven days for his father. And the land's inhabitants, the Canaanites, saw the mourning ceremony at Goran Ha'atad. They said, this is a solemn mourning for Egypt. And they called the place Abel Mitzrayim. It is on the other side of the Jordan. Thus his sons did for Jacob exactly as he had commanded them. His sons conveyed him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave uh, of the field of Machpelah, the field that Abraham had bought as an inalienable gravesite from Ephron the Hittite facing Mamre. Okay, so, so now you see the shift, right? So they do the second part of the funeral rites, which is another seven-day ceremony. Once they've crossed into Canaan, now who's burying him? All the brothers. The sons. So before, where it says Joseph, 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 they're in Egypt. He's the, he's the only one who has any power or any authority to make anything happen. Now that they're in Canaan, the brothers bury, I mean, their sons bury their father, Right in the cave of Machpelah. Is there any sign on in Hebron on this cave that refers to these terms? I've never been able to go to Hebron. I, mean, I haven't either. It's too dangerous. So I, mean, I, I, I don't go either. Like the names that are here. You know. what, what, what are you asking? Well, the cave of Machpelah is the cave of Machpelah. But the other names, I'll, you know, uh, Abel Mazram, you know. Is anything written there? I, I don't know what they're called today. Yeah. I don't know what those. They would have been given Arabic names, yeah. but I, and I don't know if any of the any of these are preserved it, as the name of the city. So right, I don't, I don't go. It's not worth it. Not now. It's not worth it for me. Like yeah. so in, in Egypt, they were Hebrews, and now here, Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. So. The Canaanites, when they see the morning and the ceremonies, they say these are Egyptians. Right. Because they, they present as Egyptians. Right? Joseph is in full regalia. He's in full Egyptian regalia. Right? His, his brothers don't even recognize him when they see him. Right? So he, he's speaking Egyptian. I mean, he, he's presenting as Egyptian. There's a huge... It's Pharaoh and his retinue. So it, you know... It looks like an Egyptian party because it is mostly. They're just some Semites with them, right? The brothers are the Semites who are with them. All right. Fifteen? Fifteen. Joseph then, fourteen. Whatever. Joseph then returned to Egypt. He, his brothers, and all who had gone with him to bury his father after burying his father. Joseph's brothers, seeing that their father was dead, now said, 
Perhaps Joseph still bears us enmity and intends to repay us for all the harm that we inflicted upon him. So they brought a charge to Joseph, saying, Your father left this charge before his death, saying, Thus shall you say to Joseph, Please, I beg of you, forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, Though they inflicted harm upon you, yet now please forgive the transgression of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept as they spoke to him. His brothers also prostrated themselves before him and said, Here we are, your slaves. Joseph said to them, Have no fear, for am I in the place of God? Though you intended me harm, God intended it for good in order to accomplish what is now the case to keep alive a numerous people. Now, therefore, have no fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus did he comfort them and speak straight to their hearts. All right. So there's a lot going on here. Um, to me, it's like this. It's so sad. It's just so sad. Um, Jacob dies, and now the brothers become afraid that Jacob was the one keeping them all together, keeping Joseph in line, right? right. So uh, one of my questions that I'm always left with at this point is what did the brothers say to Jacob when they said, Joseph's alive? Yeah. What did they say to him? They They brought a tunic covered in blood to their father, right? I'm always very curious. I'd say that's another midrash that needs to get written. What did they say to Jacob? Oops. Uh, <laughs> we we saw the tunic and just assumed. I mean, right? Like, did did they did they own anything? Did they own what they'd done? How did he get to Egypt? When Jacob came down to Egypt, did Joseph tell Jacob what happened? Did Jacob ask? Did Jacob ask? <laughs> so we. Well, somebody, he must have said. Where did you come from? <laughs> you, one one might assume you know, that like Jacob had some questions about what, how did you, your brothers found your bloody tunic. What happened? Does Joseph tell Jacob the truth? Absolutely not. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, Jonah? A simple drosh. Sure. I guess. I'm going to make an inference. All right. Go that, for it. That, um, Joseph told Jacob, and Jacob didn't know how to attend to what was being asked. And it was a very painful thing. Hmm. Because when you think about isolation, the most painful isolation is when you're closest to the people who are closest to you. Mm-hmm. And you share your truth, and fear, pain, shame, or whatever still isolates you from them. And so for Joseph, Peter, so on so forth, for him to be that type of Joseph would have had to toll his father and still be rejected in a way and still been uh, an isolation. So why do we think, let's say he does tell Jacob, why do we think Jacob couldn't hear it and couldn't affirm his story? It was too why, why are we inferring that? Too hard for him. What, why though? Why, why are we inferring that? From where are we inferring that? Joel is from the nature of pain. Maybe he tells Jacob and they become closer than ever. And Jacob says, I can't believe you forgave your brothers. You're an amazing human being. I did a great job raising you. <laughs> Look at you. You forgave your brothers for what they did to you. You're amazing. I was right to favor you all along. <laughs> uh, maybe you said the same thing that, that Joseph just said to the brothers. Which is? Uh, 
God had all this. This was all God's plan, you know. I'm so glad, son, could, that could, God had this plan for you. Blessed be the Holy One. Kinshu, Kucha, Brichu. Okay? It could be anything. We'll never know. Or he didn't yeah, tell I mean, him. He's, he's the up. now when he is the vice president of Egypt, uh, <laughs> as somebody said. Um, so Jacob has to filter uh, what happened before through the thing, you know, all, it, it all works out for the best kind of uh, kind of situation. But Jacob clearly knew about it because he said at the end, forgive, forgive your... Who says that? The brothers. The brothers? Yeah. That's why I asked the question. The brothers say, Jacob before said, our father go. died, <laughs> he <laughs> said <laughs> on his deathbed, Forgive them for what they did. Or just, or just, the, just the opposite. Um, Jacob, um, um, Joseph said to Jacob, his father, <clears throat> let it be. I can't tell you this. It's too painful. Please just let it be. And his father accepted that. Okay. <laughs> Is there any corollary between that and Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they've done? I mean, I, no, not, no. No, because first of all, we don't know that that got said. Wait, right? They, they're covering their butts. They are totally covering their butts. I don't believe Jacob said it. I'm not sure Jacob knew. I'm not sure Joseph ever told him. And maybe, like Jonah said, Joseph told him, and Jacob's like, huh? Um, yes, I'd like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Thank you very much. Right? So, we, I, I don't know, but I think for sure this is CYA. Right? For sure. Did I see another hand? Dana? Joseph or Jacob? I mean, Jacob, you know, with his wives and with his brother and his blessing. So, you know, for him to handle it the way he does kind of makes sense who he is. And um, this is really life. Bad things happen the wrong way. So at the end, if people didn't tell a new story or perceive it in a different way to move forward, Right, but I just want to, but let's be really clear. We don't know how Jacob handles it. We don't have that scene. We have no idea how Jacob handles it. We don't even know Jacob. Jacob might might have stopped speaking to all of his sons. Mm. Maybe he heard Joseph and said, I can't believe they did that to you. They're living over there. I'm going to go to a condo over here. I'm never talking to them again. Because he wants to be buried in Canaan. He wants. He's giving them instructions because he wants his his body to go to Canaan. We have no idea what his relationship with them is. He gives them a formal blessing, the formal deathbed blessing, because that's what one does. But we have no idea how Jacob handles any of this, or if he even knows. But don't you have to presume following the same sort of line that you know Jacob was not the village idiot. Um, he saw Joseph and said, my God, how did you get here? Where did you, I don't know. But we don't know what he was told. No, you're right. We have to assume that Joseph said, 
Well, it wasn't immaculate conception, but here's what happened. And or he didn't. Or he said God God made it such that I was I got to Egypt so that I could be in that. We don't know we don't what he said. Of course, he believes in God. He says he just says it right here. Uh, am I in the place of of God? Let's go there because it's very clear that that's how Joseph understands this. And Joseph was a father. He was the father of all these kids. No, Jacob. I mean, Jacob was the father. He was the father of all these kids. Yes. And sometimes you just say, okay. (laughs) So look at verse 19. You're my kid. Joseph says to them, have no fear. Am I a substitute for God? Yeah. If God wanted something bad to happen to you, God would not have put me in the position to save all of you. If I wanted to do something to you, first of all, I would have done it. Second of all, God clearly put me in this position so that I could save you. From famine. But can you, but so, but go back to. They sent this message to Joseph. Why? They sent a message to Joseph. This is our father's dying wish. Well, because they wanted to be forgiven. Why don't they just go to him? See? Oh, interesting. This translation oh, says they said afraid. it. It doesn't say they sent it. The translation. What does it say? Are you talking about 15? Joseph's brothers, yeah. seeing that their father was dead, now said. Said? Said? S-A-I-D. Oh, interesting. Okay. It doesn't say... So the implication is that they are not. Because Joseph's already dead. So they're... No, Jacob. Jacob's dead. Jacob. Sorry. Jacob is already dead. So in my... Where I'm reading it, it says, okay, dad's dead. And so now, perhaps Joseph's going to get on us. We should tell Joseph that God, that dad forgive them. Right. He wanted me to have the painting. <laughs> right. 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 So that's what we said. Before that she died, they're, they're, mom said, "I get the jewelry." They're saying, right? So that's what we said. They're saying that he said before he died, right? So we don't know what he said. We know that it's CYA. Whether he said it or not, they are absolutely CYA. Some people say they sent the message because they are terrified that if they show up, he's going to imprison them and lop off their heads or whatever. So then you shall so so shall you say to Joseph, forgive, I urge you. So they, they, they're quoting their father, <laughs> right? Bonagid. Uh, Therefore, please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. Uh, and Joseph, what happens now? What happens for Joseph? He, he says, have no fear, he, Brian. What happens in verse, at the end of this verse? He weeps. He weeps. Again. <laughs> he weeps. Because Joseph gets it that whatever's been going on for 17 years, they still don't see him. They still don't know him. They still don't trust him. 17 years he's taken care of them. And they still don't trust him. Nothing's changed. I believe that's why Joseph weeps, because he's alone. He gets it that he's still alone. They don't know him. Whatever he's exposed to them, however he's been to them, however much he's done for them, 
They don't see him. They don't know him. And he weeps because he realizes, right, whatever they've had is you know, whatever. Whenever we realize that we haven't, like you said so beautifully, Jonah, that we haven't been seen. We haven't been heard. Right? And um, I believe this is why he is so moved. But the way it gets interpreted must be that they get, if the message was sent, then they hear that Joseph wept when he heard their words. So now they went to him themselves. Verse 18. They went to him, which is supports the reading of they sent him the previous message is now they go to him and they fall before him. So they hear about his response and now they feel encouraged to go right before him themselves and prostrate themselves. Uh, so they still don't behave like brothers. Correct. Right. Correct. The belief that correct. every story has a happy ending. His brothers went to them. They fall before him and said, we are prepared to be your slaves. Right? And and I don't think this is a warm, fuzzy moment. They think he's like I, that? I, I, for Joseph, I think he is completely sad mm-hmm. and lo- alone when he says... Don't be afraid. Am I a substitute for God? God arranged all this. Like, I got over this a long time ago, right? Although you intended me harm, God intended it for good. So as to bring about the present result, the survival of so many people. Fear not. I will sustain you and your children. I have to believe this is a really, really, really sad moment for Joseph. I I just... He has no family. hmm? The nephews and nieces transformed Joseph. From being a weeper to being somebody who looks to the future of the, of the entire people. Because there's a wonderful description here of the children and nephews and nieces of us that dismiss the parents that go now without holding the children. Well, it, it, yes, I, and I think this is a pivotal moment. Yeah. I think this is, your, this is the moment he gets it that he's done with the brothers. You're fine. You're settled. Don't worry. And then it goes on to talk about right the generations, you know, after and um, his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, um, and that their children were born on Joseph's knees. We've we've gone into this a lot about right adoption, right about you know about uh, recognizing one's heir. Uh, you know, so Joseph clearly makes it formal that he Manasseh and Ephraim's sons are his heirs, um, and, and and it absolutely shifts forward because. I think at this moment, his relationship with his brothers is dead. Dead. We present ourselves as your slaves, 100% foreshadowing what is about to come. But I'm also remembering that was it that the, the, the mention of an emotional response is very rare in the Torah. So this is clearly a very pivotal, strong moment for him to show no matter what he's done, he cannot change. So this is, you know, this is another place we see. So Joseph, 
unlike other people, Joseph weeps, yeah. right? You know, so yes, in general, we don't see emotion in Torah, but um, but in Joseph, we often do. Um, but but I think this is this is the moment where it's it moves to the future because he's because he's done with the present and the past, right? He's he's really done. It's also ironic that this, at this time um, the brothers bow down to him again. It's probably the seventh time he bows down to him, filling all of the things with the different dreams. Yes, so this is the absolute culmination of Joseph's dreams because we had... Uh, you know, lots of other places where the wheat and the cows and or oh, those Pharaoh's dream, but the wheat and all that stuff, right? That's Joseph's dreams. And then we get um, we get this the last fulfillment of his dream, where the brothers all come and bow down to him. Right. So this is absolutely how we're going to close the novella because that's the end of the story. Right. Is that his dream his uh, from childhood is finally fulfilled right here. All right. Bye. There's a prediction here that you were saying this is this is the core of a prediction. But as Yogi Berra said, it's so hard to make predictions, especially when they're about the future. <laughs> On the other hand, Amen. could I take exception to the fact that he was still estranged from his brothers? If you want to. Okay. Because he says... I, I didn't say he's still estranged from oh, his okay, brothers. I said he realizes when they come to him afraid that he's going to murder them that he gets it that they still don't trust him they still okay. don't know him that but he's very kind to them because that's who he is that's right. who he's always been but but how but how deeply sad he is that that they don't believe that about him they believe he's still going to come after right that 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 it's joseph who has a moment that 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 changes. He wakes up. He wakes up and yeah, gets. They it think that they, he's like them. They, they never woke up. <laughs> they they exactly. think that if they were in his place, they would be, <laughs> exactly right. Okay. They wouldn't be. So the last uh, verse. Vayamat Yosef ben Me'av Eser Shanim v'yichantu Oto v'yishem ba'aron b'mitzrayim. Joseph died at age 110. They embalmed him, and he was put into a coffin in Egypt. And together we say, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazik. May we be strengthened as we finish the book of Genesis. Uh, may we be strengthened in our study, and it is our tradition to immediately begin the next book of Torah, page 307 in the Green Book. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each coming with his household. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Vihuda. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, and Judah. That's a beautiful tradition to tie. We are never between books of Torah, God forbid. There's no empty space. I want you quickly to go to this handout that I gave you. You can read it at your leisure. This is the end of Peter Pitzula's book, Our Father's Wells, um, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful meditation on Torah. He, he, of course, wrote that book about Genesis. So 
he, this is the end of his book on Genesis, which is appropriate as we end the book of Genesis. He talks here about two kinds of memory. One is memory that happens, we're, we're a collection of our memories and our experiences, what happens to us. That's kind of what makes us, in some ways, who we are and our reactions and responses to what happens to us. And he said, um, but there's a second kind of memory, Right? A second kind of memory, second paragraph, is paradoxically the memory of what did not happen directly to us. Culture is the memory of what did not happen to us. This is the memory of family stories that we may have heard at our grandfather's knee, images in films, tales in books, events in history. Our memories are crammed with such materials out of which we can form a larger story about who we are. People who come out of a continuous familial or ethnic tradition possess a self that is intimately connected to other selves as part of a family tree or tribal community. Such people are linked not only to the ancestors, they are linked to the figures of dream time. Such people recognize the validity and relevance for themselves of those experiences that occurred to others in a distant, even a mythic past. The past is theirs in a very real sense. For such people, memory has a coherent, transpersonal dimension. The pain of a distant ancestor or a wounded hero may bring tears as quickly as the pain of a remembered childhood wound. Part of what it means to me to be a Jew is to develop this second type of memory and develop it in relation to the history and the myth theology of a Jewish tradition. That is why we are here. Thank you, Sarah. Look at page 235. He's talking about from the beginning, he named his book Our Father's Wells. That was always the working title because of how important wells are in the book of Genesis. So go down to the paragraph that begins, the wells of Genesis are profound. They speak to me of a fertility in the soul. They are an image for the life of the imagination. That life is mysteriously deep, sprung from hidden aquifers. Wells are essential to life. The wells of the fathers nourish us and are as essential in their way as food is for the body. Wells in the wilderness are miraculous. Living water from rock slakes the greatest thirst. Sweet water in the dry places is provided beyond all human provision. We are asked only to keep this water fresh. We are the stewards of the gift. As we rush headlong into a post-literate century, we may lose the maps that guide us to the wells, the song lines that take us to the living waters, the tales that connect us to the ancestors. The Philistines have covered them, the Philistinism of our appetites and idolatries. Indeed, our memory of the past is deteriorating as literacy declines. Scavenging and strip mining the past for what serves our fattest culture, we lose an old depth and continuity. Ransacking myth and history for images and marketable ideas, we are using them up as we use up other precious resources. Important parts of our past may not survive into the future. The Bible may not live on as a rich and complex soul poem. I fear it may become only a book of dogma for the fundamentalist or an object in the museum of the mind for scholarly analysis or a ruin 
of scattered stones, historical sleuths will continue to dust for prints of a merely historical past. I fear that the continuous flow of biblical images and ideas that has watered the fields of literature, poetry, theology, and moral discourse for thousands of years is evaporating in the heat of our millennial ambitions. As the church is empty, as the grandparents die who heard these stories from the lips of their grandparents, the stories descend the first rung of oblivion. They will not translate to computer games. They cannot be audiovisualized. As poems, they lose everything in translation to another medium. This is why we're here. We are the guardians of the gift. We are here because we believe that this will not translate into another medium. It must be confronted on its own terms with love, respect, challenge, questioning, openness. That is our legacy. And I believe he does not overstate the case at all. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.